Hail and well met, Traveler. Welcome to Threat Dice, a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, storytelling, and the vagaries of the dice. I'm your host, Kylan Wigan. I am one-third of the team at Tumble Die Games, a young company developing a new hybrid storytelling RPG called Trove. We believe in the power of story, and the goal of Trove is to simulate the arc and tension of a three-act story within the framework of a tabletop RPG. You can find out more at www.tumbledie.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter at TumbleDie, or Instagram. Hello, friends. Fair warning, today's subject matter gets a little heavy. Gather around the fire with me, and let's talk about how the history and evolution of the role-playing game seems to me inextricably tied with a certain unpleasant emotion that we'd all prefer to avoid. Grief. So, after last week's discussion of crunch and fluff, I came away with something of a realization. For a brief moment, I had a clear and shining vision of the whole arc of the tabletop RPG genre, from its beginning to its current state. I've done my best to capture this realization, and I hope that it will mean something to others, as it means to me. When I joined the tabletop RPG lifestyle, it was about 1991, give or take. At the tender age of six or so, I had no idea that there was already a schism in the D&D world. The table that first took me on, the one my parents played at, was running Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. We now call this First Edition, but at the time it was just AD&D. My parents' player's handbook was the blue one, with the wizard on the cover, and it had their names lovingly scrawled just inside. At that point, there were people out there who hated AD&D. They thought there was no reason for the rules to have changed from the original D&D, and were still playing the Redbox rules and so on, because they didn't see a need for anything more. No big surprise, really, given how humans can be. Based on the books themselves, I think AD&D was mostly an excuse for Gijax to come up with more and more random tables to roll things on. But it did do some things that we consider fundamental to our tabletop RPG experience today. It was the first edition of D&D that separated out the idea of race, your character's ancestry, from their class, the thing they focus on actually doing. Quick aside, for those who may not know, in the original Dungeons & Dragons, you only chose a class. Fighters, wizards, and thieves were all considered to be humans. Elf, dwarf, and halfling were actually classes. We would consider the elf a hybrid fighter-wizard, maybe a magus, today, and the dwarf was a fighter but tougher, and the halfling was basically Bilbo Baggins with the serial numbers filed off. In fact, the original company behind D&D, TSR, got in trouble with the Tolkien folks for actually using the word hobbits in early editions of the game. They replaced the word with the more generic halfling, and that was okay. I also used to have an AD&D book called Deities and Demigods that included gods from Fritz Leiber, Michael Moorcock, and H.P. Lovecraft. They had to take out the Moorcock and Lovecraft sections. The original game made no distinction between what you are and what you do. That granular change, at least in D&D, was made when AD&D was introduced. I learned pretty quickly that AD&D was a dangerous game to play. My first character, and the memories are very hazy, ended up trying to steal a gem from a statue's eye and caught a terrible wasting disease. I remember that my uncle's character had to teleport out of the dungeon, 
spending what I only much later realized was a very precious high-level spell slot, just to return my character to town to a healer so that he didn't die outright. A bit later on, when my brother first started to play, I, being an extremely jealous 7 or 8 year old, attacked his character as soon as we met. My DM, I think to teach us a lesson, allowed it to happen. I rolled a hit and I landed a hit and, and hurt his character. My brother retaliated, as you do, rolled a natural 20, and down my character went before the game had even gotten started. I was furious as you'd expect from a child who'd just gotten a bitter taste of his own medicine. And yet, this didn't put me off the game. It actually taught me something important. Don't risk it if you're not willing to accept the consequences. Because even at that young age, I'd already begun filling notebooks full of characters by this time, rolling dice 3d6 down the line, noting stats and so on. The loss wasn't too bitter, though it was indeed hard to swallow. I grew up hearing my parents' stories of their games. My mother is still to this day proud of a wish spell she pulled on our DM that was airtight. He was happily outraged that she left him no room to muck with it. My dad played so many different characters that I must have gotten the impulse from him. The ones I remember most are a pair of dwarves that were a clear copyright infringement, Canadian accents, love of beer, and the great white north from which they hailed, and a fighter named Thiamon, whose name came off a vitamin bottle and many more that I never really got to know. Because here's the thing. When I was eight, my parents split up. Around the same time, my DM moved across the country. I didn't see my dad as much, and we weren't playing D&D anymore. Dad never stepped into the Dungeon Master's chair for my brother and I, although we did have a blast playing the old board game HeroQuest, which is basically D&D light anyway. Even then, though, I'm pretty sure that I played Zargon, the Dungeon Master, more than Dad did. He just liked being a player, I guess. I never got old enough to figure out that I even wanted to ask the question, because when I was just about to turn ten, my dad died in an accident. One day he was there, and the next he was gone, forever. It's been twenty-five years since that happened, but as you might imagine, or maybe even understand firsthand, it never really goes away. A couple of years later, in middle school, I answered the call of D&D again. I met some friends whose family played, very differently from my own, of course, and finally figured out that I could sit in the DM's chair. I started telling the most ridiculous stories with a group of 12-year-olds, and it was ludicrous and it was silly and it was fun, well, most of the time anyway. My brother has a tendency to cut through my carefully planned encounters with a series of critical hits, or by setting fire to everything he can see, which has always frustrated my ambitions for dramatic storytelling. My other core players all had their own quirks as well, but on the whole, we always had a good time. It didn't take long before I started fudging my roles. When I learned to play, everything was out in the open. Everything depended on the dice. They might be in your favor or they might be against you. That damn d20 swings so high and so wide. You might, for example, lose your character before the game has even begun, just because you made a stupid childish decision or even through absolutely no fault of your own, just an unlucky roll. But here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I tend to get attached to my characters. I invest pieces of myself in them, bring them to life in my mind with a spark of inspiration, and then sometimes imagining their lives. How did they come to be that way? What happened to make them who they are? And so on. 
by the time they hit the table, if they ever do, they are already sort of alive to me. When I began to play the DM's chair, I found myself getting attached to my players' characters, and their stories, and the story we were telling. Even if they were stupid or shallow 12-year-old stories, I didn't want those characters to die, especially because I was so painfully clear on exactly what that meant, and so recently, too. So, I confess, I started blunting the worst of it. I'd happily push a character to the edge of death, but when I rolled that critical hit that would have killed them instantly, nah, didn't happen. Deal enough damage to knock them below zero, have them bleeding out, sure. But I like their stories, and frankly, I'd seen what happened when people's characters die outright. They. Get. Mad. Because of course they're invested too. Well, in most cases. At the very least, they spent a bunch of time thinking about the character and playing them, accumulating wealth and experience, and so you don't want to lose that progress. Permanent death means a lot in a game, especially. There's a very good reason that not too many video games are so daring. Pushing a player into permanently losing something they've invested time and emotion into causes, well, emotion. Some people might not want to play anymore. Others might be furious, not with the dice, but with the person sitting behind the DM screen who should have done something. Others might be furious at their fellow players because they didn't act fast enough to salvage the situation. There's a word for this feeling, the one you experience when something you spent time, thought, and emotion on is suddenly taken away from you, irrevocably. It's grief. Grief is complicated. This is not an emotion that we generally seek out. It's certainly not one you expect to simulate in a game where you're all supposed to be having fun. Grief is not an emotion that's acceptable, at least in my culture. It makes people awkwardly avoid you, offer platitudes and empty words, and then stop talking to you until you feel and act normal again. And yet, that's what we feel when our level 12 character gets dropped in one hit by something that outclassed them. We've known that character for a year or more, and even though they are fictional, their sudden demise hits like a punch to the gut. Someone we cared about even as an abstraction, is gone. This can be hard enough to get through even in a book or a story where it's planned or hinted at ahead of time. Spoilers for a 30-year-old book trilogy incoming. In the original Dragonlance series. And I'm pausing here for five seconds in case you want to hit the skip button a couple of times. Sturm Brightblade's death is a shining moment. He heroically accepts his fate in order to forward the cause. It's brutal, it's unflinching, and yet it feels satisfying, because Sturm died doing what he was born to do, protect the people in the world he cared about. I think about Sturm a lot when I think about the greatest way a hero's story can end. But you know the one that I still have trouble thinking about? Sturm dies at the end of Book 2, at the end of Act 2 of the series, a perfect place to lose a hero. That's where the darkest hour happens when the heroes realize they have to change if they have any hope of succeeding. And then, at the beginning of the next book, suddenly we lose Flint Fireforge to a bloody heart attack and there's no reason, no heroism, he's just... gone. I still haven't forgiven Weiss and Hickman for that one. But man, does it ever bring the feels, because it's so real. What does all this have to do with d and I'm getting there. After the break, I'll go into more about the evolution of D&D, and how that ties in with the core theme of this episode, avoiding tough feelings like grief in the service of the ever-elusive concept known as fun.
And here's today's shoutout for a friend of the dice. How I Nerd is a gaming channel and venue on Twitch and YouTube. These are folks doing what they love and doing amazing work. They have three live play shows per week. Two are Pathfinder 1st Edition, and one is Savage World Cyberpunk. On Thursdays, they host Tales from the Tavern, which is an RPG roundtable discussion featuring voices from all over the industry. On July 23rd, 2020, I had the pleasure of joining them for Tales from the Tavern, and it was a fantastic two-hour session. Check out How I Nerd on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash howinerd. And look for them on YouTube. You can always find them on Twitter, at howinerd. If you're a fan of live play and RPG discussions, and if you're listening, it's probably a safe bet. Definitely don't give this channel a pass. And hey, if you're on their YouTube channel, check out the July 23rd episode of Tales from the Tavern. You might just hear a familiar voice. Give them some love. Welcome back. Let's carry on, shall we? The evolution of D&D in the mid-1990s was AD&D 2nd Edition. I think it was mostly a cleanup project that went horribly awry. <laughs> After recompiling a lot of the stuff from AD&D into a more readable package, scope creep rapidly got out of hand, and it turned into a confusing mess of contradictory rules, borderline nonsensical math, and splat books that stretched as far as the eye could see. AD&D 2nd Edition saw the Forgotten Realms first really blossom into a thing that would be influencing D&D players to this very day. And it also gave us the weird, experimental adaptations of the rules that were Planescape, still my favorite D&D setting. And Council of Worms, where you play dragon PCs, which I owned but never actually got to play, much to my sadness. AD&D 2E also subtly changed the arc of the game, mostly in positive ways. It removed certain limitations, moving towards inclusivity. It used to be that an elf could only get to a certain level of fighter before they were capped. All demi-humans, as they called them in those days, had limited advancement. Only true humans could ever hit maximum level. The experience curve was so huge in AD&D and 2E that you needed millions to even get close to maximum level. But in AD&D, you got experience points for every gold piece worth of treasure that you brought back. 2nd edition removed the treasure for XP rule, meaning that now your primary method of advancing your character was by hunting and killing things. 2nd edition was a wild mess, beautiful in some ways and entirely frustrating in others. It was during this era that I personally started to branch out, looking for something different. Because I was growing tired of the feeling of the game. I started experimenting with new magic systems, because I despised the fact that a first-level wizard only had a max of four hit points and only one freaking spell per day. But because I also had trouble keeping a single group together for very long, I never really saw the high-level part, where the wizard becomes an unstoppable force of nature. With no real mentor in GMing, it took me until much later that I realized I should have created a world and let everybody just make characters in it, which would have allowed me a more modular approach when changing characters and players. The big sea change in D&D came with 3rd edition. Starting HP got boosted for everybody. Advancement became about unlocking new powers and new ways to interact with the game mechanics, which got a lot more complicated. Because of the fiddly nature of the way the game was mathed out, collecting and adding up plus ones from every witchware became the name of the game. And everything got a whole lot less lethal. 
power creep is the best word I can figure out to describe it. Somewhere between the early mid-1990s and the late 1990s, the zeitgeist surrounding games had changed. Video games, now prominent, had long since ditched the permanent death mechanic. It pissed people off, so they stopped doing it, in favor of game over, saves, and restarts. When 3rd edition rolled around, the whole aim of the game had changed. It wasn't about looting dangerous dungeons and dragon's lairs for treasure anymore. It was about adventuring through an imaginary land, killing things in the name of righteousness, taking their stuff, and, here's the most important part, getting to the end, to unlock your best abilities that would let you kill more things in the name of righteousness, and take their stuff. Because of the now infinite upward progression of the D&D 3rd edition mechanics, before 3rd edition, D&D had some math that headed toward the natural soft limit of zero, and some roles where you wanted a low number. And the way the classes and feats and everything were designed, D&D became less about adventure and its inherent dangers, and more about accomplishment. A part of this, I think, whether consciously or not, is due to grief avoidance. As of 3rd edition D&D, it's much harder to kill a properly equipped PC. There's a whole sub-part of the game which is basically trying to make your character untouchable. Once you get out of the low levels, everyone is nigh unstoppable, because the game is more balanced toward risking less and gaining more. It's not in a pejorative sense that I say that D&D 3rd edition is more fun than its predecessors. It's designed to hit the reward centers of the brain. Do a thing, find a thing, get a thing, get a better thing, and never, ever lose a thing. Because losing things isn't fun. It makes us feel things that are unpleasant. Things we'd normally rather avoid thinking about. Losing sucks, and losing things we care about is even worse. This same culture has only expanded as we've moved into D&D 4th edition and now into the current era. In fact, given that Wizards of the Coast is putting out adventures designed to carry you from 1st level to 20th, the game is now about marching from the beginning to the end. PCs are supposed to have one story, not a series of interconnected adventures in a shared world. D&D is now an epic fantasy novel, and no longer pulp sword and sorcery. Whether or not this is a good thing is entirely up to you. However, it does make it tricky to introduce a new character at the mid-levels of D&D. It's always been weird. But in the early days, there was room for a lower-level character to join up with a mid-level party, because the spread in power wasn't as great, and the stories weren't as tightly woven, meaning that there was space and downtime where something could shift. Now, there is no way you could team up a first-level character with even a fifth-level party. It would be so out of step. So instead, a character who dies would have to be replaced by an equivalent-level PC. But who were they? Where did they come from? Why did the party not know about them? Why weren't they aware of them? In general, in a D&D game, the PCs are the most powerful people in the local area. Why wouldn't they already know about someone who is at the same power level they are? So you have to shoehorn a new character into the world and the plot. They probably won't ever really jive with the other heroes the way the original dead PC did. Nowadays, we allow someone to be brought back to life at lower and lower levels. We allow characters to recover from unconscious on their own, with just a few 50-50 rolls. Characters can be brought back up from downed in 5th edition with a first level spell from 30 feet away, because 5th edition PCs are not supposed to die. It's technically possible, but it's so thoroughly discouraged by the mechanics that is now a surprise, or a deliberate effort, when it happens. And even if it does, you can pretty much always drag your buddy's corpse back to the nearest temple and get them raised for some cash, or if you're willing to do a favor for Palor's High Priest. 
death in the main line of tabletop RPGs has now become something to be avoided, just like it is in the rest of our lives. It's something that can be overcome, so even if the unlikely happens, it can be undone in so many different ways. This, to me, causes the game and story to feel like it has no stakes. I said before that the fact that you're expected to progress from 1st to 20th level makes D&D more like an epic fantasy novel. But can you imagine the Lord of the Rings with D&D magic? Boromir died defending the hobbits? No more farewell brave soldier. Just drag his decaying corpse back to Rivendell and let Elrond or the local high priest of Iluvatar cast a resurrection spell on him. Hooray! Boromir is back! What? Losing a character in which you are invested causes grief. We don't like it, so we come up with more and more ways to avoid it, which in turn makes the game more fun, which makes the game better, at least in theory. I think my problem is that I'm personally a bit tired of the flavor of everybody march from 1st level to 20th level and we'll overcome everything together because we're going to be heroes. A lot, and I mean a lot, of people have only just gotten introduced to this flavor, and so they love it. Some others genuinely love it no matter how often they've played it, and they're going to keep on keeping on. And here's the cool part. We can all do the things we want to do. As I've started figuring all this out, I've discovered that I have an inclination toward exploring stories of loss and unexpected ends. I guess that's not super surprising, really. We are all the sum of our traumas, after all. Those themes aren't for everyone, and that's why it's important that everyone is on the same page when it comes to the kind of game you'll be playing before you get started. But what I'd like to leave you with is this. The next time you're playing your favorite RPG, think about the mechanics of the game and how they drive what kind of experience you can and will ultimately have. Think about its boundaries, its limitations, and then consider the things that it does well and the reason you choose that game over others. What parts make you roll your eyes in frustration when they come up? What parts make your heart sing the glories of the game and make you genuinely happy to be playing that game instead of another? And if, on consideration, there are more things that frustrate you than make you happy, go looking around a little. See if you can find one that emphasizes the parts you enjoy and puts the others on the back burner. Then it's just a matter of what may be the hardest part. Getting up the gumption to suggest to your group that you all try something else, even if just for one night. Thanks so much for joining me today. Before we go, one quick thing. If you're enjoying Threat Dice, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, or tweet us at TumbleDye. I'll read any reviews into the announcements on the next session. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, may the road ever rise to meet you. Threat Dice is a production of Tumble Die Games, LLC. Our intro music is What Lies Beyond, the interludes are Clockwork, and the outro music is Storm, all by Vincevect. Check out his amazing work at youtube.com slash Vincevect, V-I-N-D-S-V-E-P-T. Additional music by Andre Sitkov and Andy Ray. Today's episode featured Past the Edge by Kevin McLeod, licensed under CC BY 4.0. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wigan. Proof is boring. Proof is tiresome. Proof is an irrelevance. People would far rather be handed an easy lie than search for a difficult truth, especially if it suits their own purposes. You can find Threat Dice wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.